we have a repentance problem. It's not something that we often tend to think about. It's not something that we dwell on in the regular rhythms of Christian living. Maybe it's because we're prideful people. And pride is the enemy of repentance. Saying that we're wrong. That we're sinful beyond measure. We're in desperate need of saving. Doesn't quite square with the American spirit, does it? We've got a reputation to maintain, after all. And maybe we think if we can tear our clothes just enough so that people will see our piety, that should be enough for now. It's not real repentance. At best, we coach ourselves into dusting ourselves off, into picking ourselves up by our own bootstraps, getting back in the game. Yes, we've messed up, we've convinced ourselves, but we can, we can do this thing on our own. We've messed up, but it doesn't mean that we're broken. If we just follow our hearts well enough, we can get to where God wants us to go. All the while, all the while we know that God must be impressed with us. But brothers and sisters, God will not be mocked His word remains firm and true. He knows the difference between our half-hearted attempts at repentance and true repentance. Every year on Ash Wednesday, the same call goes out from Joel's prophecy. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. So there's a right way and there's a wrong way to turn towards the Lord. The wrong way is is this simple rending of our garments. Of course, it's not fashionable for us to do this anymore. We don't tear our clothing in repentance in our society. But that does not mean that we don't have other ways of rending our garments. If we support the right causes sufficiently enough on social media, we can collect righteousness points. If we commit ourselves enough to religious ceremony, it can provide just enough cover for us so that we don't have to bear any actual fruit. We can attend church service after church service without ever actually letting the Word of God penetrate into our hearts. And yet that is exactly what the Lord is calling for here. Rend your hearts. Literally, tear Rip open, break your hearts. We have this disconcerting picture of what real repentance looks like. It's the exact opposite of pride. It does not care one whit about its own reputation. It does not think about the possibility of pulling itself up by its own bootstraps. And it does not have the time to play righteousness games. The defining characteristic of this true repentance is a heart that is undone. A heart that is broken, even dead. And why would the Lord our God call for such a rending of our hearts? Why would He demand this of us? Does He delight in our misery? Why exactly would he want us to be in this sobering state of real repentance? Well, consider Psalm 51, 
by King David. It's the, it's the appointed psalm for Ash Wednesday. David was brought to the end of himself. He was confronted by the sins of his past. He had taken Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, as his own, and he had had it arranged so that Uriah would be killed on the front lines of battle. Nathan, the prophet, confronted David, and now here David was penning this imprecatory prayer. Psalm 51. In verses 3 through 4, it says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David is heartbroken. He's sorrowful. Not because he had a reputation to maintain, and now that reputation is damaged. He is undone because he has offended God. He has sinned against him in word, thought, and deed. And that is what breaks David's heart. That is what God calls us to in Joel's prophecy. St. Paul puts it another way in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There are two kinds of grief, he says. There's a worldly grief which produces death and a godly grief that produces true repentance and leads to salvation. Worldly grief, worldly grief means that you're sorry you got caught, but you would gladly go on sinning otherwise. This type of grief is only concerned with itself, its own reputation. It's that useful grief that we need to pull out if we need to, that we tend to pull out if we need to earn righteousness points with those around us. Godly grief, however, does not even think in those terms. All someone with godly grief considers is he has not loved God with his whole heart, nor has he loved his neighbor as himself. This godly sorrow is appalled at sin because sin separates us from the Lord. It goes hand in hand with the broken heart, that rent heart that our Lord wants for us. We have done evil and it's in His sight. It's the only appropriate response. So I ask you, can this type of rending of hearts be manufactured? Does the Lord's call for us to rend our hearts mean that this is something we can accomplish if we try hard enough? Does David rend his own heart when he was confronted with his sin? Of course not. It's why when you and I, it's why when we try to repent, our, our attempts at it are half-hearted at best. Do you think we can be sorry enough on our own steam? You heard the kids earlier. Do you feel bad whenever you've done something wrong? No. Can we break our own hearts? This is why Paul calls it godly sorrow. It is real repentance, true grief and sorrow that is worked by God alone. It's through the Lord's Word, namely His law, that brings us the knowledge of our sins. It's the Holy Spirit's work to bring that law to bear on our lives, to dash us to pieces, as it were. 
that we might know who we truly are before God, before God apart from his grace. David did not manufacture this repentance. It was brought to him in the word of the Lord through Nathan the prophet. Joel's words to those Judeans who were rebelling against God were meant to produce that same result that only the word of God can work. This is what the ashes are for. This is what those words, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return, are for. It's not meant to serve as a marker of external righteousness. It's a simple reminder that is meant to bring you into confrontation with your own sinfulness and your own mortality in a way that you are normally not. This simple Ritual, this simple ceremony is meant to give you a spoonful of sobriety, a cool glass of clarity. You will die one day. That day is coming sooner rather than later for some of us. We will all stand before the God of the universe to give an account. Where is our boasting then? And when you think about that long enough, along with the severity of God's law, we are left with only one choice, my friends. We cry out, I'm a sinner. I'm desperately sick with sin. There is nothing good that dwells in me. And my only hope is that my Lord should save me. Then, I tell you, brothers and sisters, we are on the right track. Then we are speaking in accord with God's word and the Holy Spirit is doing his work in us through that word to break our hearts. But that's only half of it, of course. The other half is that God cannot resist a broken heart. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise, David says in the psalm. God does not leave us in our state of brokenheartedness. Rather, he, he breaks our hearts with his law so that he might put them back together again with the gospel, the forgiveness of all of our sins for Christ's sake. Hence, the sign of the cross on your forehead. You have this sobering reminder of your mortality and your sinfulness in the ashes, but you also have the promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You are baptized. You belong to him in the sign of the cross. He gave his son to bleed and die for your sins. It is God's nature to forgive you. And he forgives you because of who he is, not because of the quality of your repentance. If you come to him boasting in your own works, he'll give you the law. You don't measure up. But if you come with a broken heart, you get his grace. Such is the promise that we have in Joel's prophecy. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Perhaps you might be afraid of where a broken heart might lead. Haven't we all been vulnerable before someone before, only to have our hearts trampled upon? Haven't we all been wounded by others in some form, put to shame, embarrassed? 
That will never be the case with your Lord. He wants to take those sinful, wicked things that we call hearts, and He wants to replace them with His own. He wants to take those rags that we hide ourselves behind and replace them with the very righteousness of His Son. This is the Christian life. The baptismal life that is marked by repentance. Turning from sin and turning towards our loving God in faith and in trust. May the Lord grant us all to rend our hearts during this Lenten season. Amen.